You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, we're talking quarterbacks with ESPN SEC analyst Greg McElroy. I wanted to have him on because he has called games for one quarterback I know Washington has interest in, Florida's Kyle Trask. But he also can discuss a lot of other possibilities from those expected to go in the first round to guys like Davis Mills, someone I could see tempting Washington if they can't get Trask on day two, and Kellen Mond. Greg is excellent and he's not an Alabama homer, when it comes to Mac Jones, he was uh, McElroy was pretty clear on which quarterbacks he felt didn't belong as a top five pick. And after hearing him, you might hope that Washington does not trade up too high for a quarterback. Before I get to that, don't forget you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story on the site now about Washington's quest for a left tackle. It could come in the draft or it could be filled after the draft with someone such as Alejandro Villanueva from Pittsburgh. They do have interest in him if they still need a guy after the draft. There obviously will be a lot of quarterback talk leading up to the draft. We got a few more weeks of this. I would not put a lot of stock into some of the aggressive trade-up scenarios. However, as I told you last time, I do know that there's a quarterback they'd consider trading up for and even into the top 10. I don't know who that quarterback is, and I don't think other people do either. People I've talked to think Atlanta stays at four, but I don't know if that's what they're really thinking, but that's what a few people I've talked to in the league believe. I do know Washington is expecting all five quarterbacks to go in the first round, along with tight end Kyle Pitts, two of the receivers, and perhaps two offensive tackles. I did spend time this weekend watching some quarterbacks like Trey Lance. I'll be honest. It's a tough one to make a bold move for. He has raw skills, and he'd be able to sit here for a year. That's what he needs. But, man, most of the highlight plays involve him running. The same was true of Lamar Jackson. He also threw the ball pretty well at, at Louisville, but a lot of his highlight plays were runs, but his were other world runs. They were unbelievable runs, and they came against high-level Division I players. I like that Lance knows how to operate the line. I didn't like the inaccuracy. I've heard mixed things on him throughout this process. To be honest, that's true of all the quarterbacks. I do like that he lined up under center and used a lot of play action. I've heard a lot of good things about him in terms of the way he works and in terms of the kind of person he is. That's all good. But I just wish he was more accurate. Can he get better there? We'll see. I saw some funky things with his arm angle at times during games, but he looked better throwing it at his pro day in terms of his elbow, et cetera. So who knows? And I think the hard part with him is it's a great deal of projection. I think you the inability to see him for a full season this year really hurt, and it leads to a lot of guesswork. But there is a lot of talent there. I just wish that I saw a little bit more at times. Justin Fields is another I watched. Clearly, I saw him a lot during the last two years because of my ties to Ohio State. But when I watched for the draft, I put that part of me aside. I went back and watched the Northwestern game because he did not have a good game 
especially statistically, throwing the ball. So I wanted to see why. And some of it stems from, I think Northwestern did a good job. Some of it stems from something I always felt. He gets greedy. And I know there's a lot of talk about his processing speed. And some of it, sometimes it maybe it stems from that. But I'd, almost, I'd often see him waiting on a guy for a while before, before moving to a check down. When I feel like he could read that, it's just that he keeps waiting and waiting to see if one of his guys breaks free. Because to be honest, they often did. It got him in trouble more than a few times, especially in that Northwestern game, when the line couldn't hold up. And there were sometimes there was some movement that he might miss up front. And that's, you know, that was an issue. That's why I wonder in the NFL if he'd have, would he have that same mindset or would he be more willing to check it down, knowing that you're not going to have that same kind of time that you did at Ohio State, nor would you have the, the knowledge that, hey, if I just hold this ball for four seconds, one of these cats is getting open. You know, you knew that at Ohio State. You don't know that in the NFL. So would that help him? Maybe. But I do think, like, sometimes that's what I always felt with him, that he would get greedy, Ryan Day would get greedy, call him plays. And I think that was part of the issue. I know that some other people have deeper issues or other issues with him in terms of, you know, whether it's the way he throws or, or you know, some accuracy, whatever. But that was one of the things. And I, I'm going to go back and watch more games of his to, to, to get a better feel for me from a, an analyst perspective, more so than an alumni perspective. Um, but I did, I do think that sometimes it gets greedy and I wonder how that would translate. What I also know about Fields, he's not Dwayne Haskins. You don't hear the concerns as far as maturity, et cetera, that you did with Haskins coming out. And please, please don't judge him by previous quarterbacks at the school. Having followed this school my whole life, I can tell you he's the best one who has come through there. It doesn't mean he's a lock and there are concerns on tape, just like there are with all these quarterbacks but there's not a standard system that they always use. It's changed under Ryan day. And I will say the quality of quarterback recruits they've been getting in recent years is far above past levels, far above. It used to boggle my mind how they could get some great receivers there and just never lure the top, top quarterbacks. Well, now they're starting to do so. And it really, I think Haskins was really the first guy who's coming through there. Joe Burrow obviously was there, but he was not a massive, massive recruit like those guys. Um, and, and certainly Justin Fields, and they have guys coming in. So don't just sit there and say, well, he went to Ohio State. He can't do it. Judge the player, not the school. If you have problems with Fields' game, that's fine. But judge him for on his own merits, because what happened in the past there has nothing to do with what he might do in the NFL. But again, for me, there's more to learn from an analyst perspective, because I saw this, I go back to Dwayne Haskins. When I was watching the games live with him, I thought, wow, this kid is really good. Now, I did have some concerns about him, and I told my son, I felt, felt like he should go back for another year. But in my mind, I had one view, vision of it, and then I went back and watched a few of his games, and I started to see where some of those concerns were, just from an on-field mechanics standpoint, et cetera. Anyway, I'm going to do more of that with Fields. Um, and I do, like I said, with both those guys, because I think those would be the two that, you know, you're going to go, obviously, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Mills, and if Mac Jones goes to Bama. So that's why I'm looking at Fields and Lance more to see would they really go up for one of those guys and what, you know, um, I, I'd have a hard time seeing that. But, again, I know that there is a guy that they do like that they would go up for. I just don't know that guy. For all I know, it could be Zach Wilson. But he, clearly they can't get him. But I know that there's a guy that they would go into the top 10 for, um, you just, I don't know that they will though. So we'll see lots to go there. I also know that there are other players they trade up for in the first round, depending on how it's going. There's a linebacker and an offensive tackle that they like that. I think they would consider that they would consider moving up for. I don't know how high, but it's a definite chance. 
And yeah, they, of course they love Kyle Pitts, but unless you trade high up, he'd be real tough to get. But man, if they had the opportunity, I think they would do so. But I think a lot of teams would do so. For those wondering why Thaddeus Moss was cut, it's simple. The offensive coaches just didn't think he was better than what they have on the roster. It's not like they have a murderer's row at the position beyond, beyond Logan Thomas. They have three other tight ends, Marcus Ball, Dylan Cantrell, and Tyrod Swoops. Cantrell and Swoops played different spots in college. I do think they like the idea of converting players to the position. Obviously, Logan Thomas did that. And it will remain a spot to watch in the draft. As for Caleb Brantley, why he was cut, I do believe it stemmed from just a culture fit and nothing more. They need to add some more younger talent behind, I think, that front group to develop in case they can't keep all those guys around. And it, But it has to be someone who, who fits the way they want. And I think someone younger who they could maybe work and have for a few years, um, none of this was Brantley. Anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back to talk quarterbacks with ESPN's Greg McElroy. We focused a lot on Kyle Trask for a reason, but I'm not assuming anything, so we touch on a few other passers as well. Greg was good. Enjoy. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Kahn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team, everything you want, you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Greg McElroy. And Greg, I wanted Washington is interested in Kyle Trask. That's a guy that's, you know, that could be end up coming here. You got to see him play and develop um covering, you know, doing his games while he was at Florida. In general, what did you think of his growth as a quarterback? Well, he's an interesting story. And I don't know how familiar you are with his background, but he never started a game in high school. He was a backup quarterback in high school to a guy named De'Eric King, right. who now is at Miami and was formerly at Houston. So he arrived at Florida as a really polished passer with absolutely no game experience. So he, he looked the part and was a beautiful thrower and could spin it, and but didn't really have the nuance, didn't really have the feel for the game that you'd want and desire in, in a top-tier quarterback at a place like Florida. But he always had raw, raw ability. So it, it's, it's just it's been really interesting to watch him develop and to watch him get better and better and better. And he arrived at Florida with absolutely no confidence, more like what the heck am I doing here? And how did I get this scholarship? And then just got better and better and, and improved and, and got a little more comfortable and started to play the game a little more than just, you know, going through the motions of being a quarterback. And obviously by the time this last year ro rolled around, he became a difference maker. Now, as far as his prospects in the NFL, I think we're still kind of on the verge of figuring out exactly who he is, meaning he just hasn't played that much. And dating all the way back to high school, he hasn't played that much. So I think he can become a really good player, but there are some limitations there that would lead me to be just the tiniest bit cautious about anointing him the face of the franchise. 
And I want to get into those limitations in a second, but what does it say about a guy? Because that is one thing I wanted to get into about because I I am familiar with his background. So what does it say about a guy that can go that long between starts and still continue to grow? And there's got to be a level of perseverance that it takes to do this and a, and a, and a belief at least to some degree in yourself. So what does it say about a guy that he can do that and end up in at least this spot where we're talking about him as a you know day two pick in the NFL? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's rare nowadays, right? I mean, in today's day and age, everyone, if they're not handed the opportunity right out of the gate, they would have transferred. And Kyle Trask, not just in college, by the way, in high school. I mean, he backup quarterback with a Division One scholarship offer, like, forget about it. I'm out of here. You know, so I, I think that, that it says a lot about his character. It says a lot about his upbringing that he said, hey, man, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm very self-aware, and I know I need to do this, 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 and this to position myself to have a chance to compete. And when I'm given that opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. And that's exactly what he did. Now, unfortunately, he became a starter because of an injury, and no one wants that. But Felipe Franks goes down against Kentucky. He's out for the year. In comes Kyle Trask. And he said, look, I might not get another shot. Boom. Leads him in a fourth a fourth quarter comeback on the road at a place that Kentucky would consider Florida a rival. And that's a difficult thing to do from that point forward. You know, he just grew and got more confident and, and knew that, Hey, I, this is my job. I'm never giving it back. And I feel bad for Felipe. I hope he makes a full recovery, but this is my job. So I think it says an awful lot about his mentality of preparing himself behind the scenes. And the second he was given the opportunity and the door was opened he was ready to take advantage. And there's just not a lot of guys that are like that. A lot of the guys want it to be handed to them, and then they'll figure out what it takes to be successful. Not figure out what it takes to be successful before going out there and earning it. So I respect the heck out of them for it, just because it's such a rare quality in today's day and age. And when you saw him just throughout the season – in terms of what he could do on the field, where did you see the biggest growth? Is it, is it his maturation as a quarterback? I think his command got a little bit better. I've, I always thought he was pretty accurate. And I did think at times he was very deliberate in his process early on. He didn't trust it. And again, who would? The guy's thrown how many meaningful passes in his career, right? I mean, he was a guy that needed to see it come open or – or he, he had a big arm and he just he just you know wasn't a hundred percent committed to delivering the ball to that spot at that time, uh, and it, it just it just took him a little while to kind of get up and get acclimated with the speed of the game. But I do think he was a, uh, he did a better job of playing instinctively this year. I thought he moved a little better within the pocket, not great, but moved a little bit better. Thought he was a little bit more willing to be a runner when they asked him to be, which was not often, which is quite rare. <laughs> and I, I thought he developed some chemistry with wide receivers where when they put Kyle Pitts in an isolated situation, he knew where Kyle was going to be before Kyle got there. And that was not something he did a whole lot of, you know, in the years leading up to that. It was kind of the receiver would make his break and then he'd throw. So I think it's been really interesting to watch him grow and develop. I think part of it's just to come with more confidence, more repetitions. You think about it last year going into the season, 
It was the first year he'd ever gone through an off season as a starting quarterback ever. So, and by the way, it was an abbreviated off season with unique challenges as a result of COVID. So I, I think there's a lot to say about what he could become because he might, he might just be scratching the surface because of the inexperience that he has. So let's get to those limitations. What do you see being the big issues there? I think he's limited athletically. Uh, I don't think he's a real twitchy player. I think he's a little bit more of the old school in the NFL where everyone's trying to get more athletic at the position. He's a little bit of a throwback. Not that he can't run and not that he's not a willing runner. He's not a guy that's going to, that's going to keep you honest by him tucking the football. And it feels like everyone that's getting drafted in the first round, including that of Mac Jones, who's the most statuesque of the bunch, they can all move a little better than Kyle Trask. The other thing, for a guy his size, he doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, he he's, has somewhat limited arm strength for a guy that's his size. Now, right. I wouldn't say he has a subpar arm, but usually when you see a guy that's built the way he's built, it's a howitzer attached to his shoulder. Right. <laughs> it's, it's almost unique. You know, I mean, I remember the only other guy that I can think like that, and it's not to this extreme, because Kyle, I think, has a bigger arm than this guy. But Brad Johnson's a guy that I can recall back in the day that was huge and looked like he could throw the ball a country mile, and yet he was a placement guy. You know, he'd, he'd guide it. And that's kind of who I think Kyle compares favorably to. And I, I, that's who, you know, that when I watch Kyle, that's kind of what, what I'm reminded of. Now, Brad was such a, you know, he's a great athlete. And I, I would just like to see Kyle play just a little bit faster at times. And Dan Mullen did a great job, a great job with him last year and making sure he was comfortable crafting the offense around Kyle and, and not requiring him to be real twitchy. He's a little bit long in his release. He's very accurate, but he kind of needs things to be good around him for him to be at his very best. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how things are, are coming along with him. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised, frankly, I, I think a day two pick is is likely where he's going to go. I thought I thought no worse than than third round coming into the draft process. But then the more I watched of him, I wasn't sure exactly where he was going to be slotted because I just don't know what kind of upside he has. I think he is one of the biggest question marks in the entire draft. So I think he could be an NFL starter, but I also think he could be a little bit limited physically in his skill set that could hold him back considerably over the course of his career. Was, was that bowl game? I think he might have game? as wide a gap. He might have as wide a gap as anybody, you know, that we're, that we're kind of looking at versus where he could be versus where he is, where he might end up being, you know, he's just got a really wide gap with where he could fall. Is that, was that, you think that bowl game kind of exposed some of that? I know he was, you know, Pitts isn't there. Tony's not there. His top four, his top targets aren't there. But there right. were some things that maybe he could have done better in that game to help himself. Was that – how did that bowl game maybe change perception you know, or it, do anything? It didn't affect my opinion of him. Um, that He ran into a buzzsaw that night. And we were doing it by yourself, and you're the only guy playing, and the team had mailed it in two weeks earlier. It's hard to really – I mean, if we're going – and now Justin Fields is getting killed off of, off of a couple performances too. So we do have a tendency towards gravitating 
towards bad performances. But, you know, just the bowl game, that's not, that was not the nail in the coffin for me. Uh, I knew he was limited. There's a reason why he was a backup quarterback at, over the course of a considerable amount of time throughout his career. There's a reason for that. It's because there are some limitations. Now, I love the guy, but there are some limitations. And I think in an era in which everything's getting faster, he's not that. And that's okay because he can process and he's accurate. But I, I just I want I have just the tiniest bit of hesitation about putting the future of the franchise in his hands without seeing it over the course of some time. And so if they're planning on him being a day one starter or in the mix as a day one starter, I don't see that. I think he's a project, and and I think it might be a year or two before he's ready to play with the type of urgency that's going to be necessary for him to play at the highest level in the NFL. Yeah, and I think if he came here, he definitely would – the ideal situation for him would be to sit for a year. But I also did want to ask you because you're, you're you know, SEC, Alabama, Mac Jones. Are you surprised at where people are talking about him now, possibly going? Yeah, I still think number three overall is a smokescreen. And it just feels too obvious to me with San Francisco going to Mac Jones Pro Day and then going to check out Justin Fields in Columbus. What, the guy I think they're drafting is Trey Lance. Hmm. So, I mean, okay. because they've drawn those <laughs> Mahomes comparisons, yeah. hey, we keep Garoppolo, so let's go with the guy with the biggest upside, right? Mahomes had the biggest upside. So, if they're trying to draw those comparisons, like, why would you draft a guy with maybe the lowest ceiling of the bunch in Mac Jones, but the highest floor, which is kind of what Garoppolo is? So, to me, you're kind of replacing a guy in Garoppolo with a guy that's somewhat similar to Garoppolo. And I, I think Mac Jones is a great player. I really like him. I think he's very accurate. I think he's very competitive. And I think he has a lot of the qualities that you'd want to have in a franchise quarterback. But I cannot tell you without a shadow of a doubt that he is going to be an instant improvement over Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I can't say that. Because I'm still trying to figure out with Mac Jones. And this is, no, this is not his fault not his fault that he was surrounded by elite skill and personnel. It's not right. his fault. But what I don't know is I've used this, I've used this a bunch and I think it makes a lot of sense with Mac Jones. I think about building an NFL organization or a college organization, like building an arch. Was Mac Jones the foundation upon which the arch is built or is he the capstone, the last piece of the puzzle that needed to be inserted to complete the arch. And I'm having a very difficult time figuring out, was he the beneficiary of a remarkably good supporting cast, or was he the reason why the supporting cast was remarkably good? And that, I think, is something we won't know until he gets to an NFL team. And I don't feel comfortable personally. If I'm a GM and my reputation and job and the future of my franchise depends on it, I don't feel comfortable calling his name with the third overall pick. I love the kid. I think he's really, really good. But we're talking about if he's drafted third overall, that would be the highest draft pick that Nick Saban's had at Alabama. Think about some of the game changers wow. that Nick Saban's had. That'd be the highest one. So Marcel Darius went three overall. Quinn Williams went three overall. Trent Richardson went three overall. No one's gone two and no one's gone one 
and the time that Nick Saban has been at Alabama. So you're going to tell me Mac Jones is arguably the best NFL prospect of anyone that Nick Saban's had in his tenure? I, I can't get on board with that. So I think every one of those three quarterbacks, Lance, Fields, and Mac, if drafted three, are all being overdrafted because I think there's enough question marks with each of the three to have a few concerns heading into the draft uh, here coming up in a couple weeks. So do you, have you been able to watch much of Trey Lance? I have, yeah, I've watched him. What, what, do you, what do you think of him then? If you, as far as upside, it sounds like you feel he has a lot? I think he's got major upside. Okay. Major, major upside. The thing that I love about him is, I mean, he's – I think he's the closest – everyone's trying to find the Mahomes, and if you can't – well, good luck. You're not going to find the next Mahomes, all right? So let's just move on there. <laughs> so who's the next guy that you want? And that's Josh Allen. And, and when I look at him, he reminds me of Josh Allen. I mean, he really does. And uh, I think he's got a lot of, of, of the same physical skill sets that Josh Allen has. He's athletic. He's big. He has a, a personality from what I gather. I don't know him. I've never met him, never been around him. But from what I gather and the people I talk to, he has a magnetic personality. And finally – and maybe most importantly, the guy makes great decisions with the football. I mean, he doesn't turn the football over. And I look at at Mac at uh, Mac Jones. I don't think his ceiling is as high as Trey Lance because I think he does have a big arm. But I I think that they're you know I think they're comparable athletic uh, comparable accuracy wise and not comparable athletically. So I, I think the athleticism that Josh Allen played with early in his career got him out of trouble an awful lot. And that might be what Trey Lance has to do as well, at least early in his career. But inevitably, the, the, you know, the arm and the ability to be balanced and throw the football with the accuracy that Josh Allen threw it with this past year, that might take a couple of years. I think Trey Lance, having that athleticism while still being able to possess the accuracy, makes him a very intriguing prospect. So I think he has the highest upside of anyone in the draft, not named Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, who I think are, are on just a slightly different level as far as what they might bring to an organization. So with Trey, because there, there are – listen, this is rumor season, right? So there are some people who think that Washington loves Trey Lance and would move up to get him. To get him, you have to go in the top five. I mean, is he a guy that you would trade that much up for to go get? Or, you know, or is he a guy that you'd want to be sitting there and saying, hey, this, you can't pass him up? Well, full disclosure, I I don't know exactly like what what is Washington. Washington picks um, nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, so they're at nineteen. I mean, they're already a playoff team. I, I just don't know what it's going to cost to get up there. I mean, if it's right. a king's ransom, like San Francisco had to give up, I would suggest not going there. So I think there are other places that need to be solidified. Like I said. Right. I think any of those three quarterbacks, Mac, Justin, Trey, all three are a reach within the top five. They're all being overdrafted. Now, the par for the course. Welcome to 2020 right, NFL right. football. I mean, 2021 NFL football, everyone's overdrafting quarterbacks, but there's a run on quarterbacks. So you have to have one. you got to go. If I'm Washington, the guy I'm taking is Jamie Newman. Okay. Uh, yeah, if I want a project – 
I, I have my concerns. I didn't like the fact that he opted out last year. Uh, I thought he was on the cusp and doing a game of his at Wake Forest a couple years ago. I thought that guy has the physical skill set that I want in a quarterback. I mean, he is big. He's athletic. He's got a huge arm. He's a natural passer. There are some issues with him when it comes to layering the football and negotiating defenders. The guy only throws line drives. I mean, he doesn't know how to – he doesn't know how to have nuance. He doesn't really know how to layer the football up and over defenders. So there are some concerns and some question marks and some problems with that. But I think that's a skill that can be developed. And that would be one that – I would strongly take a look at because I think we could be fast forwarding a couple of years down the road and Jamie Newman might be the next Dak Prescott, depending on what situation he's in. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, I think Jamie Newman might even have a slightly stronger arm than Dak. He's not as polished a passer, but he might have a slightly stronger arm. Uh, and I don't know if he's quite as accurate, but the upside is there. So if I'm rolling the dice day three and I haven't gotten the quarterback yet, that's the guy I want. Really? Have you seen Davis Mills? Uh, I have. Um, a lot to like about Davis Mills. I think he's probably as gifted a thrower as there is in the draft. The problem that I have, he's a bit robotic. If you're drafting exclusively on arm and arm talent, like, yeah, he's in the mix there You know, as a potential franchise guy down the road. So last guy I want to ask you about then, Justin Fields. Yeah, I like Justin Fields more than most. I feel like everyone's, it's like bash Justin the last couple months. Uh, you know, I'm not sure it's really fair, nor do I think it's really warranted because I think he's about the same player that he's been for quite a while. And I thought there were performances this past year. The problem is he never got better this year. It's, we didn't see the progress that I think we wanted to see this past year is usually going into year two as a full starter. And it was a unique year, so maybe his development was slightly altered because they didn't, in the Big Ten, have a normal fall camp or they didn't have a normal spring season. So maybe that hindered his growth a little bit. But I thought there were performances this year that were really disappointing. And the other thing, too, year one as a starter at Ohio State, he'd lock in on a wide receiver and he would – be very deliberate and he didn't really trust it and let the ball go he didn't do that very often well we hoped here in year number two he would start to trust it he would start to anticipate throws he would start reading defenses not keying in on one receiver and that progress never came hmm. so i think that's why he's getting knocked so much is we didn't see the growth it's not that he's bad it's not that he's a bad prospect he's an excellent prospect and i i think he's a first class person too so anyone that gets him is going to be better within their organization as a result of him being on their team. And I've heard rumblings about his work ethic and stuff like that. I haven't heard that at all. I've, I've heard nothing either. but amazing things about what type of guy he is. And I've been around people that have known him since he's 16 years old. I've heard he's just incredible uh, as, a, as a kid and as a human being. So uh, I think he's, in a, he's a, a guy that I wouldn't bet against, but I do think he does need to develop as far as how he sees the field, how he anticipates, and how he lets his feet talk to him, getting to the progression. And then finally, I want to see him do a better job 
in the years to come of bouncing back from mistakes. Tua Tungabailoa had this as well, though, so it's not a deal-breaker. If he makes a mistake early in the game, you cannot spend the rest of the game trying to overcompensate for that mistake. You can't do it. He did it against Northwestern. He did it against Indiana. He's trying to make up for a bad decision early, and you cannot get it all back on one throw. So I think that's one thing I'd like to see from him is just allowing bad things to just be in the past and moving on and focusing on the future. I thought there were times this year and look, uh, when he was really pressing, and that was a little bit frustrating for me as you know as someone that played the position. I just want to see him shake the bad things off, move forward, and and not allow the and compartmentalize the mistakes and not allow those mistakes to be compounded throughout the rest of the game. Greg, I appreciate your time, man. This was really good stuff. You got it, brother. Sorry I'm in the oh, car. <laughs> that's okay. Always great insight, so I appreciate it. Thanks, man. You got it, man. Have a great rest of the weekend. You too. Have a good one. See ya. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Greg for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I have a couple fun guests tentatively lined up for this week, so I'm excited. And I'll have a quick conversation with a Virginia Tech writer about Christian Derrissaw for Wednesday. Talk to you next time.